great. Thanks. Let me try to get used to this little table. Not sure you can have your Bible open and your iPad on this little thing. Let me see. Let me see how we can do it. Let, let me, I'm just kidding. Just having fun. I, I am so honored to be here tonight. The hunger in this place every time we come. To have a place that's so hungry, that loves to worship and pray and evangelize the lost and do family and home groups. And you guys have just not settled for less than everything the Lord wants for you. Like you're pressing, always pressing. It's beautiful. And of course, what a treat. Like not a treat. I just wept over there. As David is, is dear to me. Like dear. Like I wish I could live in the same town with him. Like for real. For real. Like you're laughing, but I, I'm dead serious. Because I want to be among people who reach for Jesus and yet know the suffering and the glory. I just want to be among a people who just limp a little bit and just weep when they, when they think of Jesus. And yet when the spirit comes on them, they're bold as a lion. But when the spirit's not on them, they're meek as a lamb. That's their natural default. They just go back to meekness knowing that it's God's mercy. And yet when the spirit comes on them, they'll rock your world with right in your face, just like tonight. He just got in your grill about the second coming. I don't know if you know that. Go back and listen to it. That was bold. I love it. Well, I'm just so glad to be here. Um, it's been hard to get here. I've been sick all week. Last night, my iPad Pro broke, like died. Like it's a $2,000 iPad Pro, just died. That's not right, brother. It's not right. And now I got this little thing from like 2003. I don't even know if I can read it tonight. Anyway, it's been... It's been real warfare to get here. And now I know why. I know why. The Lord wants to plant a seed here tonight related to a second coming and related to what the Lord is doing right now. And um, he's been doing it, but there was a pause on it. COVID hit and there was a pause across the whole earth and the Lord's stirring it up again. And you might say he took the pause button off at the Asbury Revival, and it's beginning again at another level. A lot of you just got through fasting and praying for Israel 24-7 for 21 days. The Lord is doing an amazing work. Well, before we jump in, I, I want to comment on the name of the conference, Zeal for Your House Consumes Me. That's intense. Like if you actually read the verse and it not just be a conference title, that's intense. That, that's intense. It's born out of Psalm 69 where David is being persecuted because of his zeal for the Lord's house. He's going to tell us at the very beginning that he needs deliverance from the enemy 
because he's being persecuted, not because of his unrighteousness, though it does say in a verse right before that verse about zeal for his house that his sins, God knows his sins, they're many. And yet he goes, hey, but this time I'm being persecuted not for my sins, but because I had a particular vested interest in the worship ministry before the Lord and prayer. I gave myself to fasting and prayer and the backlash which came from that was intense. How many of you know when you give yourself to the ministry of intercession and of worship, the backlash can be intense? And so David in Psalm 69, in fact, he even says, they gave me gall to drink. How many of you know Jesus that's a reference. Jesus is going to apply that to himself when he's on the cross. This is an intense psalm. In fact, Jesus is going to quote it when after John chapter 2, he goes to a wedding and they run out of wine. And Mary asks him to fix the problem. And Jesus does at the prompting of his mother. And after he's leaves that wedding, Jesus begins to reflect on the wedding that's been promised to him from the Father from all eternity, that out of the remnant of humanity would come forth a people who would be fully his. They would not only be sons and daughters of the Father, they would be the very bride of Christ, equally yoked to him in light and love. So that when the Bible refers to the people of God, he refers to us in familial terms, like the relationship of a father to a son, a father to a daughter. But the Bible also refers that the father has promised his son a bride, which means just as we're sons and daughters, with reflect both our position and our authority, that the description that we're the bride of Christ reflects the intensity of love that God has for his people. It's not enough to say we're going to rule and reign with him. It's not enough to just say we have authority and power. God wants something greater than just servants and co-rulers. He wants somebody to have union with him. And because he wants union, he's committed He has zeal for his house. He has zeal that he would receive a partner equally yoked to him in light and love who would return to him the affections with the same fervency that he gave to us. So Jesus is committed to having a people whose hearts are fully given to him. So as he leaves that wedding, he's reflecting on the one who's been promised to him by the father who would be with him forever, not just ruling, but in love ruling. That the first movement of her heart would be love and everything else would be an outflow of that. And so as he leaves the wedding and he reflects on the bride that's been promised to him, he begins 
to intertwine three cords. And he makes a whip. And just like David focused his zeal on prayer and worship, Jesus walks into the center of the prayer and worship ministry of the nation and he takes that whip and he drives out everything that hinders love. Everything getting between him and the people. He'll tear down every religious system to get to your heart. If you've been a Christian for more than 10 minutes, you know that Jesus will tear down every system that props you up that keeps you from loving him. He's committed to your created design. He has zeal to not let you live below the poverty level of what it means to be a human being made in the image of God who's been invited into the holy Trinitarian fellowship because of the blood of Jesus. Do you have any idea who you are? You might feel weak. You might feel like a failure. You might feel hopeless. You might feel like, why in the world did I choose this occupation? I wish I would have chose that. Why am I not ever happy? Why am I not, why am I yearning for something always? And the Lord might say, because you were made for more. These are just trinkets and pressures and trials to point you to me with absolute surrender because I'm your source, I'm your end, I'm your beginning, I'm your finality, I'm everything. In fact, the only way you discover you is that you get lost in me because you're made in my image. Do you know you're the one creature that can only discover yourself by discovering God? Angels don't discover themselves by discovering God. God did not take on the form of an angel and die an angel's death, according to Hebrews chapter 2, to save a third of the angels. But you, 100% of you, of us, thumbed our nose at God, said, no, thank you, and God said, uh-uh, not so fast, you're mine. You're the one creature made for me. Therefore, uh-uh, it ain't going down like this. That little girl you deceived, Satan, get a good look at her. You won round one. She's going to win the war. For out of her loins will come forth a seed that will crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Get a good look at her. The Lord has zeal for his original intention to have a people he dwells in. Jesus wraps that cord of three strands and he goes in and drives everything out. And according to most theologians, that probably got him killed. John puts it at the beginning. The other three gospels put it at the end. And most theologians believe that act of walking into the center of worship and saying your systems won't cut it, I want your heart. Most likely got Jesus killed. 
Because the devil will let you do anything but give your heart. He'll let you do anything. He'll let you do all kinds of activities. But don't give your heart. Because if your heart ever connects, you won't settle for systems. You want everything. And at the end of the book, in Revelation twenty-two seventeen, Jesus' zeal is going to be answered. Because at the very end of that precious book before the coming of the Lord, the Lord will release enough pressure and enough power, enough suffering and enough victory to bring the bride into wholehearted love. So that at the very end of the book, it says the spirit and the bride say come. Which means that the spirit and the bride will be in full agreement over the beauty and power and personality and plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. She will actually want him to come because she will have a revelation of just how worthy he is. Jesus will have brought her through the trials and the victories to produce one reach for him. And the spirit and the bride will be in perfect agreement about who Jesus is and that he should come. You know, most of my life, I didn't want him to come. Really didn't. I really didn't. I remember I watched that, that was Mark 4, I think Mark 4 series. Anybody seen that? A Thief in the Night. You know, the guy, it begins with the guys shaving and then all of a sudden the scene switches and the razor's in the, in the, in the sink and don't be left behind, you know. And you're, ah. I saw that. I was like, you know what? I, Jesus, I know I'm supposed to want you to come, but I just would rather get my driver's license first. (laughs) Anybody else? I was like, I want to drive. That looks fun. And then I I really want to get married. Like, I want you to come, but not before I get married. And then I like to have kids, and I hear grandkids are better than kids, and they are. I have one now. And, you know, why don't when I'm like 105 having my devotional on the front porch in a rocking chair as I'm reading the word, then split the sky and come. <laughs> that, that would be like the ideal. I remember that when I was like 14. I was like, that's the way. I really didn't want him to come. But the reason is I I actually didn't really know him that well. And I'm actually convinced today the world would be better off if he were here. 40 million human trafficking victims would be better off if he were here. The nations would be ruled with kindness and meekness. You know what? They'll beat their swords into their plowshares. What right now the brain trust of the earth is being used to expand weapons? The militaries of the earth are using 
the physicist and the brain trust of the earth to build, to maintain power over one another? What will it be like when the brain trust of the earth has one goal, love? To make the other nation better than you. What would it be like when Japan's brain trust serves China and China's brain trust serves Japan? What would it be like when the Arab world under Jesus' leadership uses their brain trust to love Israel and Israel uses their brain trust to make the deserts of Arabia bloom? We can't even imagine it. We live in such power, control, violence, we, we can't even imagine what it would be like without temptation at Jesus' return. Most people don't want him to come because they don't know what's going to end and what's going to begin. When you say end times, people get freaked out. I go, no, 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 no. Do you know what's going to end? So a lot of really good things are going to end, like injustice, wickedness, demonic reign. Demonic torment, war, suffering, death. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I want all those to end. And that's the promise when he comes. If you understand what's going to end and what's going to begin, do you know what's going to begin? Well, that's a different message than the one I want to share tonight. But he got me on it. It's just, he stirred me up. David just messed me up. Oh, zeal for his house. Zeal for his house. Jesus is committed to bringing forth a bride filled with love and righteousness and humility. And he's going to do it all. Well, tonight I want to talk about one thing that used to be proclaimed a lot. And I don't know if it's proclaimed that much. I think there's some seismic shifts as Jesus has been using the events of the last three, four years to really get to the heart of the matter in the church, to shift some things so that we can actually do New Testament Christianity, to begin to understand the seasons changing when we can just be religious or do systems that God wants something more, to put a yearning in our heart to be in unity, to have his glory in our midst, to have union and glory, to really gaze upon him and not just want elections to bail us out. That we actually have to have a heart change at a deep level so that lost people actually want to know Jesus, not be repulsed by him. 
or who represents him. Jesus wants his church and he's just shaking the whole thing up. He doesn't mind disappointing you of your expectations. He doesn't mind throwing in life or death or pressures or trials. Why? Zeal for his house consumes him. Beloved, do you know two truths about the bridal paradigm are absolutely stunning? The first one is because we're the object of his affection. Now think about this. His affection is not like our affection. It's not fickle. It doesn't, maybe, it's intense. It's, it's just, yes, yes. I mean, it's like, I mean, not like a stalker, yes, but, but kind of, <laughs> yes. It's yes. It's intense, which means he'll do anything to secure your love. Even death on a cross taking on your form forever. Do you know that, can you get it? Can we even get the second person of the Trinity took on a human form and never has laid it down ever since? That God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit welcomed into the eternal council a human frame. And you wonder if he likes you. Seriously, you wonder if he likes you. Likes you. He took on your frame forever and then walked back into the Trinitarian fellowship with a glorified human body and will rule and reign over everything in a human form forever. Do you know the day he ascended into heaven in a glorified human body and walked into the throne room and sat down on God's throne. Do you know what that means for your life? Do you have any idea what that means for your life? You made it. You made it. If you're in him, you made it. Do you have any idea what that means? That means the latest failure doesn't define you. That turns your trials into absolute glory. Because right now, your position is secure. God the Father can no more cast out his son in that human body. He has forever received him at his right hand. And you're seated with him in heavenly places as a co-heir. The moment a human body walked into the throne room and sat down at God's right hand is the day you made it if you believed in him. And you wonder whether he likes you. The enemy will always try to get you defining yourself by your latest struggle instead of your eternal destiny in Christ if you'll let him. Don't let him. He's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. There's only one man who determines your fate. And when you meet him, he's going to have warm eyes and a bright, radiant smile. I don't even think we can imagine what that's going to be like when we come before the throne of God and it's not an energy force. 
We treat him like an algorithm in the sky. He's like AI up there just looking for the search words or whatever you did to count you out. No, he's a person. He's a person. He has zeal. That word quana means fiery desire. Burning jealousy. And he will do anything to secure the love of the objects of his affection. Now the inverse is true too. He will do anything to have you, but the inverse is true. He ain't sharing you with nobody. I love my wife. I spent everything to get her. I mean, I went broke. I was a college student spending more than I had. But thank God for that credit card mama gave me. Because I could take her out. I could wine her and dine her. I spent everything I had on her. But you know what? She's my wife now, and I love you all, and every man in here, I tell you what, you're my brother. I love you. We are tight in Christ. But I would not share her with you for one second. Not one. Yeah. Out of the mouths of babes and witnesses, a matter will be established. He will do anything to secure your love. And zeal for his house, he will not share you with another. Not because he's angry, but because he wants you. Therefore, all of your life is centered around his zeal, his great affection for you. That means every trial is because he loves you. That means every Every bit of suffering, he loves you and can turn it for your good to make room for himself. I tell you, everything in our lives are around love because of his zeal. Zeal is God's burning jealousy and fiery affection to remove everything on the outside that is a, what, what would be the word, um, threat, and everything on the inside. That's a threat of love. For you at the cross, he secured you from that external threat of sin and Satan and the world systems. He destroyed its power on the cross. And now he's moving by his spirit. He's, he's twining together those three cords in your inner man to drive out everything on the inside of you that hinders love. Why? So you can walk in the fullness of what you were made. To love like he loves. To be one with him. To be fully filled with pleasure. You see, I'm so glad he's committed to that process. Why? Because he, you see, God has somehow determined it that he will not become ugly or perverted or less than beautiful and kind and lovely and good. He's true. He's good. He's beautiful. 
And he's determined he will not be less than that. And you're the one he's chosen to bring you into that. Beauty, truth, and goodness. Which is called love. So he's committed. I'm so glad he's committed. He's more committed to that than I am. I don't know about you, but there's some seasons where I just get less committed to that. Somehow life gets hard or something happens. And I just go, you know what? I, I, the water's really blue where I live. I could just fish every day. The Gulf Stream goes right by. It's amazing. It's actually really amazing. <laughs> and the Lord goes, I, hey, I want you to enjoy everything I made, Alan, but I'm jealous for you. I've got more for you, young man. <laughs> well, that's not what I want to talk to you about tonight. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. This is the problem, uh, speaking one time to a people. <laughs> David, I came up and he said, hey, I, I don't want to ask you what's on your heart. I want to see if the Lord leads that. Uh, and I go, well, I don't really know what's on my heart. I've got like 10 messages, four messages. <laughs> How do you do it when you, you see it's one thing to give a sermon. It's another thing to love somebody. Yeah. Like I'm not here for you to like me. This is servanthood. The reward for me tonight is when I go back to my hotel and talk to him and realize he loves me despite whether I did good or not. And I fall asleep and wake up and drive home tomorrow to be with my wife and kids and grandchild. And that's, that's pleasure. This is servanthood. But, but I'm not just doing it as a sermon. I, I want us to grow up in Christ. I want us to really do this thing. So whatever he would share, and I, I just don't want to get in his way tonight. What does he want to do? What does he want to say? How does he want to mature us in love? How can I add to what James has done? How can I add to what David's brought? How can I add to what Dominic has? How can I prepare for what Michael's going to bring? How can we? How can we? Hear what I'm saying? Cooperate with his zeal. What does he want to say tonight? Like, like, have you ever thought about uh, if a, a bridegroom gives you a note to take to his bride? Or even, that's easier. What if he just tells you, hey, go tell my wife this? And you're like, uh, you better get your tone right. You better make sure you summarize the message good. Do you understand the verbs and the nouns that he used? Because if you don't do it right, you're dealing with a husband. And I'm like, oh gosh, this is his people. He has zeal for them. I don't want to get in the way. I don't want a unique teaching. What, where are they at? And so I think I, think I know what to say tonight. So that's my first message. Now I'm going to get my second one in. <laughs> no, I, I felt it tonight. I, I felt it. You, you know, you, you did, David knows this, but you, you did bring the guy who has like the 24-7 prayer song anthem on the earth. 
whether he chose it or not. You know, what's that guy, what's that guy that did God Bless America or if the Green Man, what's his name? Do, do y'all know anything I'm talking about? Lee Greenwood. Some old people talk to me right now. Lee Greenwood, what was the name of that song? God Bless the USA. That poor guy, wherever he goes, he gets asked to sing only that song. He's written like 80 other songs, like one song. God bless the The Lord chose David to give the anthem for 24-7. Day and night, night and day, let in sense. He did it. He's going to have to sing it for like 40 years to the Lord Terrence. And he's written a hundred other songs since then that are just as good. Am I true? Is it true? There's some truth to it, people. I go all over the world. I have one of the, I have one of the, um, one of the great joys of my life has been over the last 20 some years is to see the prayer movement, worship movement on the earth and go to different nations. And wherever you go, that song is played. And I don't know if they play it because I'm associated with the prayer movement or they just, I think they just play it. I've heard it all over the earth. It's the anthem. And God has chosen it that way so that he would bring forth a certain, certain area. You see, when Jesus goes and he describes zeal for his house, he focuses in on Israel to the worship and prayer ministry, and he says, that's the thing I'm striking at first. I want their heart. I want their heart. You see, it's the only way to keep us safe is if we actually know him while we partner with him. Partnering him without knowing him doesn't keep us safe. It always, it always ends in either shame and condemnation because we did it poorly in our partnership or we did it what we think well and we, get, we become proud and rely upon our own strength. Or we turn to just models or formats or systems. And, and Jesus is, is screaming, goes, I want your heart. And so one of the ways that his zeal is moving and operating in the church, and his zeal is operating in every area. How many of you know he wants New Testament Christianity? How many of you know he wants righteousness and obedience? How many of you know he actually is a serious family man and wants rhythms that are pro-family? How many of you know that? Boy, y'all were short on that one. He wants family. He's a family man. Can I get some amens on that, people, please? He wants us to, to have accountability and relationships that inspire us for love. He wants all of those into the soil. He wants the gifts, the fruit, and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit operating in the church. He, he is really into governance. He really cares about governance and about leadership and the use or misuse of power. He really cares what we do with our finances. And the Lord, as it comes closer to his return, he's just wanting all these areas. And so we're feeling the pressure. I mean, if you're a pastor, I've just planted a church with my middle son just a month and a half ago. And already I'm feeling the pressures of, man, this isn't like 1970s where you could focus in on a certain thing or maybe he's, he's uh, 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 bringing forth the gifts of the Spirit and we begin to incorporate those in and learn lessons over 20 years. I don't know about you, but it's like this intensity. He wants leadership development. He wants governance understood. He wants the ecclesia to be sound and healthy. He 
wants emotional health. He wants faith for miracles. You hear what I'm saying? He wants you to learn to suffer. It's like, ah! Try being a pastor now. He's like, I want you to grow up into the head now unto a perfect man. I want you to have, I want you to have the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. I want you to have the five-fold ministry building up the whole church. You're like, ah, how about the two-fold ministry? Can't we just do two-fold? This is hard. Does anybody a pastor in here know what I'm talking about? It's hard because his zeal is I want it all. But when he begins, where does he initiate with that zeal? John chapter 2 hones in on the prayer and worship ministry. He wants the heart. He's after it. I'm going to read you a few scriptures. I'm, uh, tonight, I'm just planting this message. Now, I realize I spent 25 minutes doing something else, but I'm going to speed up this one because I want to plant this message right into this area because I believe it was the Tampa area where God sent me first back here. And you've heard that dream, but I was over Tampa looking at Orlando when I heard the voice of the Lord said, get to South Florida for I'm going to send a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm in South Florida, but I believe there's something special about Tampa that has been entrusted with something from heaven to bring forth something for the state of Florida. Now, you weigh that before the Lord. If it's something different, I don't care, but I'm being faithful to what he gave. If he begins with, you know, Chattahoochee or somewhere else, I don't care. But I do believe for me, he's, he's given me an assignment to sow into the church of Tampa. So I'm going to read a few scriptures, and I want to talk to you tonight about 24-7 prayer. Malachi 1.11 says, For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered to my name. A pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. And, and pastor, I sent you a text with this presentation. So if we don't cover everything, you have it and you can make it available to your people as you see fit. Zephaniah 2.11. The Lord will be awesome to them for he will reduce to nothing all the gods of the earth and the peoples shall worship him, each from his place, but indeed all the shores of all the nations. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Beloved, in 1999, there was a, a combustion of 24-7 prayer all over the earth. I remember it wasn't just in Kansas City. I remember after the Rwandan genocide, a pastor was called and sent back into uh, Rwanda after the genocide and the Lord raised up a 20,000 member church and he told him to do, the, do night and day prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle of David which meant join prayer and worship together. He had not even heard of the international house of prayer. He was already doing it. And I remember going, oh Lord, what is going on? I remember thousands of networks, prayer walls, prayer towers, 
prayer rooms, houses of prayer, praying churches began to emerge across the entire earth so fast we couldn't document it. Do you know in 1984 there were only 25 places where 24-7 prayer was going on? 25. Most of them were in Korea. Prayer Mountain, David Yong Yi Cho. The largest church in the earth. Almost up to a million people at its height, but it had a 24-7 prayer and worship mountain. Still does. The Koreans began to lead the charge in prayer. But in 2019, right before COVID, there were over 20,000 24-7 expressions of prayer in the earth. Documented. Well, that, that's a historic rise. I don't know if you, how, how old you are, but in the 70s when I was a kid, I, I'll just be honest, I didn't have one prayer meeting in my church ever growing up. Do you know I grew up in church all my days? I had to wear my little suit and take my quarter or my dollar bill every time to Sunday school and tithe. My parents were teaching me to tithe. and I went to church in the Methodist tradition. Can you imagine the Methodist tradition? And not once was there a corporate prayer meeting that I went to. It wasn't until I was an associate pastor in a Methodist church that I went to my first prayer meeting that only three elderly ladies every Wednesday morning. Can you imagine that? You had Ian Bounds, you know, just a few uh, uh, books on prayer, and then suddenly in the 90s there was this explosion. As 80s and 90s prayer began to explode, that began to culminate in 99, going in 2000s, by the 2019, there were over 20,000 24-7 prayer houses. And as the associate director of the House of Prayer in Kansas City, I got the wonderful privilege of going and teaching and preaching on 24-7 prayer, mainly because Mike Bickle wasn't going to go. So whenever he got invited, he said, you go. So I went. And I began to, wherever I went, I began to see this manifestation of hunger for worship and prayer to arise across the earth. Uh, I remember when I landed in New Zealand, I was in uh, Taronga on the Bay of Plenty on Mount Manganui overlooking the ocean. And I thought, nobody can be praying here. It's too beautiful. <laughs> like, there's nobody praying. Can't be. And yet there was a house of prayer started there by an intern graduate, Aaron Walsh, that joined with the YWAM base that began to bring forth night and day prayer. I remember I flew into Hong Kong and they picked me up from the airport and they took me up like a 60-story apartment building. I don't know if you've been to Hong Kong, but it's just big. It's the skyline, I think, is even now bigger than New York City. And these apartment complexes that go all the way up to the sky, 80 floors. I go up like 60-some floors. They take me out. They gutted this massive apartment. And they're sitting there worshiping him night and day. I thought, oh, my gosh, it's happening. It didn't ask anybody's permission. 
I remember when I flew to Europe, I, I was upset that I had to go to Europe. I was like, Europe's dead. I don't want to go here. Send me to Brazil or Argentina. I don't want to go here. Just this, this American that doesn't know anything about the world. I grew up in a town of 3,000, a county of 5,000. But when I landed, I remember landed in Basel, Switzerland. They had already established a house of prayer in Basel. There were young people from Germany and Berlin beginning to worship night and day. I thought, Lord, what are you doing? I went to Brazil. I flew in to what, where was that place? Sao Paulo. Then I, they were doing it there, Curitiba. I remember when they, I got off a plane and drove seven hours to Pato Branco in the middle of nowhere. And they'd given up their week of carnival to bring 20-year-olds out on the campground to worship and pray wow. night and day. I thought, God, what are you doing? Argentina as well in Rosaria. I tell you, all over, wherever I would go, I would see this expression of people reaching to do night and day prayer. We're not going to stop till he comes. We're going to give him no rest till he comes. There was this, I remember after the, hur after the uh, earthquake hit Haiti. And I remember in a 30 seconds of shaking, hundreds of thousands of people died. And what was birthed out of that earthquake was the largest prayer meeting in all of North America and Central America. Two to 5,000 every morning would gather and pray. And at the five-year anniversary, I remember going to... Uh, to meet with that prayer expression, to be with them in their hour of grieving. And I remember, I, I asked, when does it begin when the sun comes up? Okay. So I remember getting up before the sun came up. I sat in the large outdoor pavilion. And when the sun come up, they begin to pray and wail and groan and grieve because everybody had lost somebody. The man who was over the ministry had to listen to his son-in-law, his spiritual son, cry out for three days but couldn't get to him. And he died. Can you imagine that kind of grief where every mom, every dad, every child lost somebody? And I can remember as I was there and they had me come up and say something. Honestly, I don't remember what I said. It wasn't worth it. I just wanted to get down and go, hey, I have nothing to say. I just want to be here and weep with those who weep. And then I remember Corey Russell got up and began to tell about the loss of his son Nash, that he doesn't know a lot about suffering, but he knows what it's like to lose a child. And he lost a child on March 16, 316, and now he's turned the pain into an intercessory cry for John 316 movement on the earth for breaking out of intercession unto revival and salvation. And when he said that, it turned from this weeping and grieving to like a roar of intercession where these moms who lost children begin to cry out for voodoo to be driven off of their island and for salvation to break in. I remember leaving after like seven hours and the roar was still going. I went, oh my gosh. 
That was the most terrifying prayer meeting I've ever been to. I've never felt authority like that in intercession where the pain and suffering of a people because the Bible says the poor and wealth are rich in faith and I'd never felt a place shake like that in intercession before. You didn't need a format to keep it going. It was power. It's happening all over in Erbil, where the refugees are. It's happening. I remember in 2012, I'll, I'll tell you one more story. I remember I flew into Myanmar. The, the um, what is it called? What's the hurricane, the equivalent of a hurricane in that part of the typhoon? Typhoon or something. Cyclone, typhoon, something. And it hit and a 15-foot wall of water had come in. And for three days, they clung to the tops of palm trees and had to decide which child to let go of so they could hold on. And hundreds of thousands of people died and two million were at risk. And the Lord spoke to us and said, take up an offering and go over there and help them in their, in their time of need. And so we smuggled in a million dollars. And I remember as we smuggled in a million dollars, we had to smuggle it in so that we could get it, the exchange rate at the black market and not through this through their government that was going to rip, rip off the exchange rate so that we could actually bless people and help rebuild their cities and give them food. We'd established a back channel with the UN and with the America to help them get food to where it needed to go. And I can remember as we smuggled in this million dollars, we had three backpacks with $333,000 in them. And I remember going through, I won't say what city, one city. And as the security opened it up, he looked in and his face just turned flush. He just, he just lost all the blood to his face and he zipped it up and sent it through. And I didn't know if an angel had like kept him from stopping. How many of you know you're not supposed to have $333,000 in a backpack going through an airport security? And or he thought we were the mafia and he wasn't going to lose his job over a, a minimum wage job, which was probably the second one. <laughs> just send that thing through. But I remember I just got into my hotel room. I put the money into my uh my safe in the hotel room and we weren't even supposed to be there or the American government was saying don't go to Myanmar at this time but we had to the Lord had prompted it on our heart and as I'm in the, going down to the hotel room leaving the money and going oh my goodness we could be in danger and if we lost our lives it's our fault and all of a sudden a guy in the hotel lobby goes I hop I know you you're I hop and I was like <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. He goes, you're from my hop. I know you. I've seen you on the web stream. Pray. I was like, oh God, thank you, Lord. And he goes, we're doing it. I said, what? Okay. What, what are you doing? He goes, we're doing it. I said, what? He goes, every, well, I'm an Assembly of God pastor, and every weekend we go out into the, to the surrounding area where we own 20 acres, but we don't have a building on it, and we use those uh, landscaping solar lights 
that y'all have in the West, we put them around and we worship all day and all night through the weekend. And we're not going to stop until all of Myanmar sings the songs of the Lamb. I was like, you're doing it. That's amazing. Beloved, whether it's a closed nation, whether it's Europe or South America or Africa, wherever I go, it's incense has been arising. Period. I remember in 2012 at the World Assembly of Prayer in Jakarta, they gathered one million believers in 15 stadiums in the largest Muslim nation on the earth. Talk about bold. 15 stadiums, a million believers, and I watched it for three days until the last night. Does anybody remember Graham Power who was over the World Day of Prayer? Where over 200 million people gathered in stadiums on the day of Pentecost to pray that day and fast. Pray for an outpouring of the Spirit. He got up as the honored last guest and he began to summarize how prayer had grown through the 80s all the way up to the 90s and how the Lord had begun to release targeted intercession, what we called informed intercession, to pray on site with insight. And then it developed into targeting people groups with the 1040 window and the 414 window and all these windows. And prayer just began targeted intercession, began to arise as Christians began to pray for Muslims and Buddhists and such and such. And then he said, but the Lord is doing a preparatory work before his coming. And I stopped and I went, I wonder what he's going to say. What's the next thing? And then he said it. And now the Lord is bringing forth 24-7 prayer and worship and every tribe, tongue, and nation to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Beloved, that, that 2012, if that would have been in 1980 and he would have said that, you would have heard crickets in that stadium. Except for three old ladies with their prayer shawls and tambourines that have been like, yeah, we told y'all so. But nobody would have understood anything. He, he would hit that. The language of night day prayer was no more in the nomenclature of the church. But in 2012, he said it, and I thought, how is everyone going to react? And a million people in 15 stadiums went, <sighs> and it exploded. If any of you were there, you know I'm telling the truth. And I went, the world just changed the genie's out of the bottle the language has been accepted beloved do you know today is the least amount of worship you will ever experience in the body of Christ tomorrow it will be more the next day it will be more because the man who is jealous for your inheritance in him is winding a three-strand cord and he's going to remove everything that hinders love in his house till we give him our hearts. He's doing it. And then I remember when COVID hit, it seemed like there was a pause. 
as the whole world was shaken. And I thought, man, this is the beauty. This is the beauty of the Lord's design because he's going to use it to humble everybody because it's not the cry of the strong that brings the Lord. It's the cry of the destitute. You know, it's like the prayer movement was too strong. We kind of believed our own press, and the Lord goes, no, it's not about your own press. I want to give you heart for the suffering of the earth, for my people Israel, for my burdens for the remaining nations. I don't want you to be haughty and arrogant when you sing and you pray. I want you to do family. I want you to love people. I want you to give yourself. I want you to suffer. I want you to weep with those who weep. You know, in Psalm 102, when Israel, when revival comes, it says he comes because of the groan of the prisoner. It's not the prayer of the proud. It's the gasping whispers of a man or woman who has no plan B unless God comes. Revival's not going to come on the other side of our strength. I didn't know that when I was 20-some and signed up for night and day prayer and worship. I thought it was coming because we were impressive. Look at us. And the Lord just went, I'm going to level the playing field on the whole world. I'm going to expose the heart motives of all the church and all the nations. Where's their heart? What are they given to? Is it love? Is it about their freedom? What do you... How do you live when a demonized man is over the whole earth? Can you love him then? Can you lead the lost to Jesus then? Can you operate in the gifts, the power, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit then? What if you were like the Chinese church and had to live under oppression? Could you love him then? He just began to mess with everybody. Well, he began to help us. I know personally for me, I began to get dealt with by the Holy Spirit severely and in touch with my weakness. You know in that Psalm 102 where it talks about Israel's salvation, it says that the groan of the prisoner comes because God reduced our strength in the way. You know, part of God's zeal is to reduce our strength so that, so that the praise goes to him for his mercy and not to us because of our ingenuity, our strength, our ideas. And so he makes us lean on him. Does anybody, does it make sense to anybody? Did anybody have a hard three years? I almost died of COVID. You know, when you almost die of COVID, the whole mask argument just sounds stupid. <laughs> just the world went crazy for a little while. The whole world went crazy. And the Lord just kept shaking it. I could just see him just intertwining those cords. <laughs> half the church is going to leave. And if you're a pastor, if you said wear a mask, half the church left. If you said don't wear a mask, the other half left. 
I was on a, I was on a Zoom call with 5,000 pastors as one of the panelists, four panelists. And they all said, we did this half left. We did that half left. Half left. That's the good news. Half left. He just drove everything out. He wants our heart. And now we're asking new questions and new paradigms are arising. And Sunday morning doesn't seem so important as it did. Family and homes and different expressions and the discipleship. It's just beautiful. God's doing it all. But I, I was vitally aware of in Wilmore. I went to Wilmore and the pastors had asked me to come into Lexington, Kentucky and they wanted me to teach on night and day prayer. I hadn't taught on night and day prayer in three or four years. Or at least since COVID. I think I made a presentation in 2019. And they were going, the Lord has told us the pause button is to be taken off. But this time it wasn't a house of prayer. This time it was over 30 local churches together saying we want to do it. Not as one place, but together. And I went, oh, do you sense the shift? Do you see what just happened? See, it's not just about one catalytic house of prayer. It's about the praying church arising in the earth. Every house of prayer I go to asks me a question, how do we do church? As if if you did a house of prayer, you could neglect all the other things that go along with being human. You, You have to. You have to deal with people. That's who God loves, so you got to deal with everything. And so you got to do church. You don't get an option. He's going to build his church from heaven. It's all a church anyway. So I would go to house of prayer conferences, and they say, how do we set up a church, and how do we do community, and how do we do this? And then I go to churches, and they say, how do we pray and do corporate prayer? I thought, this is a love. This is a love made in heaven. Churches that pray. And Jesus in 2020 to 2022 was just driving that whip. Going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to zeal for my house has consumed me and I want it all. I want the prayer people to be a church folk. And I want the church folk to be a praying people. And I'm not going to let up until it's one. And the whole time, I remember then I was brought in as 50 prayer leaders were brought in with 50 mission leaders with Rick Warren and finishing the task. And he got us in the same room together. And the Lord convinced us that the evangelistic people have to be a prayer people. And a prayer people have to actually tell people about Jesus. In fact, in, in fact, in, in, uh, when Jesus said pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers, because the harvest is ripe and the labors are few. The very next verse is he takes the people he told to pray and anoints them to actually go out and preach the gospel. So the prayer people become the evangelists. That's amazing. It's just one reality in his heart. I'm going on. I'm going to get to what I was talking, what I wanted to plant here. But why is it happening? I heard people say, is 24-7 even permissible. And and I want to say very clearly three things to you. Number one, 24-7 prayer is never prohibited in the scriptures. 
and extravagant devotion is encouraged. Whether it's the Nazarite vow or Paul telling you to never cease praying. The church has always explored what that meant to pray without ceasing. And both times we see heaven in Scripture, we see 24-7 prayer happening in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. And we know that the church throughout the centuries has always sought it out. And the Scriptures have revealed it both in practice in heaven and on earth. So why is it happening? I'm just going to give you a few reasons, and then I'm going to wrap it up. The first thing, why, why am I going on with this? Because I want this to be a seed. I want you to go back and listen to the reasons. I want you to be able to defend it to those who don't understand it and help explain it. Because the answer, if you were to say, okay, it's happening, is it permissible? And then, okay, it is happening, and it is permissible, then why is it happening? And the first thing I would say to you is because God is answering the prayer that the church is praying every day on earth as it is in heaven. If right now the veil in this room thinned and 500 people went up to the throne room at one time. Now don't look at me like I'm crazy. 500 people saw the resurrected Lord at one time, Paul said. What if right now we had a corporate encounter and the veil thinned and we were taken up like John, you would see that God releases his power in the context of unceasing adoration and perpetual prayer. He's answering the prayer on earth as it is in heaven. The second reason is because this is the way God's government is. It's the nature of God's reign. It's the primary means that God releases his blessing and pushes back darkness through intercession. When he goes to build a nation, he establishes the priesthood 250 years before he establishes the kingship. Because the first movement in God's heart is always love. It's always love. It's always connection. Long before the Trinity was sovereign over creation, he enjoyed loving fellowship as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sovereignty, ruling, is an expression of God after he's created. But before he created, he was in perfect loving relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's why the first movement is always love. In Psalm 110, it's the famous psalm of Jesus' coronation at his ascension at the right hand of the Father, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till all your enemies are made a footstool. It's the great view when David sees him ruling his, his great, 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 great grandson ruling at the right hand of the father. He's fully divine and he's Davidic. It's an amazing psalm. But right in the heart of that psalm, verse four, it says the Lord has sworn and will not relent. Messiah is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord says, I've sworn, I will not relent. I will not change things. My nature is the first movement of my heart is love. Therefore, Messiah is a priest who rules and not a king with a devotional life. You need to get that straight. Jesus is your king. 
but he's not a king that then does an hour a day devotional life. No, he's a priest who has unending communion with his father and from that place he rules. I have sworn I will not relent. He's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which means he's a king priest. And you're a kingdom of priests. You're defined by your connection. Always your first movement will be love. Always your first movement will be union. Always the first movement of your heart will be to tell him you love him and he's worthy of your love. Even Messiah at the right hand of the Father has to ask for the nations. If Jesus as the second person of the Trinity in a human frame has to ask for the nations, we will too. He ever lives to make intercession. Number three, we could talk about that more. But number three, God's worth. He's infinitely worth 24-7. Do you know, do you know Jesus is worth so much more than 24-7? He's worth 25-8. He's worth 370 a year. The only reason why we worship him 24-7 is because we're constrained by this thing called time. He's worth it all. He's infinitely worth more than what we could give him. And the reason why in Malachi 1-11, the Lord says, Israel, the reason why you don't worship me with your whole heart is you don't have a revelation of my greatness. If you had a revelation of my greatness, you would worship me with everything. But guess what? You haven't given me the love I deserve. If I was your master, you would give it to me. But I'm your God and you don't even see how great I am. Therefore, I'm going to do something you can't even imagine. I'm going to raise up extravagant worship among the pagan Gentiles. And they're going to provoke you by their offering of love. That's what's happening right now. All over the earth, the nations are getting a revelation of how great Jesus is. I remember when I would be in front of pastors, pastors, and they would ask me, give an account for what you're doing. Don't you think this is unbalanced? You've crossed the line. You've gone too far. It's unhealthy to call people in to 24-7 prayer. I can just remember, I would just go, oh, oh. Can, and, and I would give them an example, and I wouldn't say it trite or sarcastic. I was very serious. I said, can you imagine a pastor walking into the throne room and tapping a little, tapping a living creature on the shoulder? Those creatures that have one design, eyes within and out, one job description, gaze on him and let everybody know what you see. Can you imagine them? It says they never leave. Day or night, they never rest. Saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. He's always been holy. He'll always be holy. He's holy now. That's who he is. Can you imagine that pastor tapping a living creature on the shoulder and asking him, hey, isn't this a little unbalanced? Aren't you going too far? 
with a good thing. Can you imagine? I can only imagine a living creature filled with eyes within and out giving only one eye to that question. And I could hear them answering the question with a question. Are you looking at who I'm looking at? Put your two eyes right there. Because once you do, you'll never ask that question again. Do you know, beloved, a billion years from now, when you're in your resurrected body, a wave of glory will break out of the throne of God. It will knock you in the chest, drive you into the sea of glass. You will weep for 10,000 years. You'll get up and go, what in the world was that? Why? Because it's the doctrine, us theologians call the doctrine of incomprehensibility. Say that with me, incomprehensibility. You know what that means? You cannot exhaust any of God's attributes. That means his mercy. You'll never exhaust it. You cannot know God fully in even one of his attributes. But the good news is because of Christ, you can know him fully or truly in all of his attributes. Do you know what that means? You can never exhaust him, but you will forever plummet the depths of him. You will search him for eternity. Billions of years from now, you think you know his mercy. He will reveal it to you again and it will cause you to love him more. Oh, don't think of heaven as some remote, I mean, off the charts, abstract place. It's God we're talking about. Do you know he has a name you don't even know yet? Says he has a name that when he comes, that only he himself knows, which means this. You can't know it now because your fallen, puny, little, finite body would blow up if you knew that about him. You need a resurrected body and resurrected eyes and a glorified engagement so when he declares that name, you can receive it. We need a revelation of God. He is God. He is infinitely worth more than we can ever give him in this fallen body and a resurrected body and all the angels and all the living creatures combined. And the earth is beginning to wake up and 20-year-olds don't have to have it explained to them. And I can remember... At Wilmore, when the revival broke out, you know what it was? It was 20-year-olds that needed to just keep worshiping and praying. The power of that wasn't the preaching, it was the worship. It's like God just lifted paws off the worship movement again. Just went, okay, I'm going to send revival in the context of, of gen. What gen is it? Zers? Zers? Millennials, gens, at whatever number it is now. See, the older you get, it's just too many to remember. I'm Gen X. Don't even know really what that means. But the point is this. 
as I was in Hughes Auditorium, they didn't want to leave. It wasn't about the service. It was actually about the worship and prayer going on when nobody was in Hughes Auditorium. It was shut down to the public and they let me for two days before the 200th anniversary of the Collegiate Day of Prayer. Just I snuck in there and just paced and prayed all day long. And it was like the Lord just lifted the pause button off. I'm going to send an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to awaken in the hearts of my people worship again. Where there was no clamoring for who's on the stage. Who, it was just out of tune, people just singing. Pitchy. And yet it was anointed. God's infinitely worth more. <laughs> well, there's a lot more I could give. Oh, it doesn't matter. We're going to end it on the infinitely worth more. You can look at this because, beloved, the entire world is 24-7. It ain't ever going back. And the Lord is doing it again. And the trend I see is with young people. And it's with churches coming together. What if Tampa, what if, what if Tampa area could host the first coming together of the church that could do night and day prayer? What if there was a great provoking and the East Coast and the West Coast could bring together Florida 24-7 could begin to emerge. Some of the catalytic sinners could host the night watch because that's the hardest. But all of us could do it. What if the whole body in Florida just began to sing again? Just begin to pray again? Just begin to come together again? What if we... What if we said, you know what, we, we'll do the best we can with discipleship and family and all that, but at the end of the day, we need a breakthrough of his presence and his glory to help us not have hard hearts so we can actually like each other, move forward in the grace of God. I wonder what entrustment he would give y'all. I wasn't going to preach on this tonight. I was actually going to preach on the first message I gave. But it's the same thing, really. Yeah. Zeal for his house is consuming him. He wants it. He wants the heart of his people. He wants it where every preacher loves the 6 a.m.s more than the 11 a.m.s on Sundays. Where their delight is their prayer and worship time. Where celebrity Christianity is just gone and folk are gathering. Men and women, men loving each other, provoking each other to prayer. That Fellowship of the Burning Heart book is about a 20-year journey of me and my dear friend going, we're going to form a friendship around the Word of God in intercession and see what happens. That's got to come forth again. Come, Holy Spirit. 
I'm going to ask the Lord to mark us tonight. Let me ask you this. I remember when I was in, speaking of unity, we already know that the Lord has promised that before the salvation of Israel, there's going to be night and day prayer come forth all over the earth. You already know Isaiah 62. I won't go into that. But I remember I was in Augsburg, Germany. Do you know? Do you remember Augsburg, Germany is where the envoy of Martin Luther and the envoy from the Pope came together and Really, that's where the Protestant Reformation was actually solidified. So you have the Augsburg Confession. So I remember I was asked several years ago by a Catholic theologian to come over and speak at their big conference, the Mir Conference. And it was a 10,000-person conference, and their house of prayer is actually uh, Protestants and Catholics together. So right at ground zero, where the rift, a big rift in Christianity took place, they couldn't agree on some of the doctrinal issues, but they could agree on singing and praying the word together, asking for the Holy Spirit to come and heal the wound of his people. And in that place, he asked me, he said, would you come and preach on night and day prayer, but I'm going to give you an afternoon session because um, I don't want you to blow it. So please don't blow it. It's going to be about 60%, 70% Catholics, and just don't blow it. And he, said, he looked at me and he said, there's two things you got to know. You're going to preach, and this isn't America, and they're not going to talk to you while you preach. They're going to look at you, and you're going to think they're mad, and they disagree with you the whole time. But they're really processing. So don't get moved by that. And he said, number two, the whole altar call thing's a little iffy. Just, they may not respond the way you want them. Just, he was trying to set me up for success. <laughs> you know, it really, you know, because if you're here, man, y'all are talking to me the whole time. And if you do an altar call on anything, like anything, y'all are coming up because you just want God. <laughs> it's the easiest place to preach in the world. Pastor Gio has the same reality. You say Jesus, now everybody come up. <laughs> It's amazing. That's the kind of culture you guys have. It's beautiful. And so I remember I got, I, I got done, and I said to him, and I just went, I think the Lord is here. I said, how many of you right now, the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart that you know that you're being an active part of what God's doing with night and day prayer on the earth? I said, stand up. And literally over 99% of the whole place stood up. And I was shocked. I went, no, everybody sit back down. <laughs> I literally said, sit back down. I said, I don't think you understood me. I said, there's no way. I said, how many of you right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. You're to have an active part in worshiping him night and day on the earth stand up and they stood up and I thought oh they're standing I'm getting them down here I said everybody come to the front right now <laughs> and then we did a foot washing that night for unity oh that the churches would come together how many of you right now you know the Holy Spirit 
is putting it on your heart. You go, I want to be part of whatever God's doing in the state of Florida to see night and day prayer come forth on the earth. Just stand right where you're at if that's you. Something shifted. Thank you. You're great. Something shifted this year. What most people don't know is that, that those students in Wilmore that stayed afterwards when the revival broke out were house of prayer. They were house of prayer kids. They were hungry for the presence of the Lord. This whole zeal, David said, zeal for his house consumes me. I became a reproach when I began to fast and pray. When I began to give him more. When I began to yearn for the worth of Jesus to be seen. Jesus comes in to the temple and goes, I'm going to drive everything out that hinders my people from singing and praying and seeking me. You say, I, I, I want to be marked by the Holy Spirit for this. I want the Holy Spirit to mark me, not with some religious uh, work, but with an internal touching of the heart to where you want to love Him with everything. You know, when the house of prayer was first born, it was... How far will you let me go? How abandoned will you let me be? There was this reach of the bridal paradigm that I want to give him. I want to be equally yoked to him in light and love. I want him to remove everything that keeps my heart from loving him. I believe the Lord has kind of reset that the whole COVID shifted everything to bring us back to our first love. To bring us back to that destitute place where we need His grace to move forward. We need His help. If you want to be, if you say, I want to be marked from heaven tonight. I want a revelation of the infinite worth of God, the Father, and the Son. I want my heart to be freshly touched. that's you, I want you to come forward tonight. Just come forward. I want to pray for you. As the Lord begins to do this, really beautiful unifying work of the church in the Tampa area. Oh, that he would give you a grace to seek him night and day, to love him night and day. Do you know in Revelation 4 verse 8, the living creatures never rest day or night saying holy, holy, holy. You know, they've been doing that for thousands of years. They never rest day or night. 
They're the governmental creatures around the throne that are designed to look upon God and then tell the rest of creation what He's like. You know, that's what worship is. We're to look upon God and tell the rest of creation what He's like. We're to look upon Him on His throne. We're to look upon Him at the cross. We're to look upon the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world and tell everybody what He's like. The church is the manifold wisdom of God to powers and principalities to tell them what He's like. Revelation 4, 8, those living creatures never stop. But in Revelation 5, Jesus takes the blueprint, the plan of the Father to close out human history. He's going to take it from the Father's hand. It says that when John saw the, the scroll in the right hand of the Father, he began to weep because he heard who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals. He began to weep. The elder came to him and said, do not weep for the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has prevailed. And it says he turned and he saw a lamb as if slain. And then it goes on to describe Jesus as the lamb. He has seven horns. He has seven eyes. He has seven spirits. And it says he takes the scroll from the right hand of the Father, which is the Father's plan to bring heaven on earth, to consummate and finish what Jesus started on Calvary, to remove everything that hinders love on the earth, to set up God's kingdom of love and righteousness. And it says that Jesus is holding the scroll. He has seven eyes. He has perfect wisdom. He has seven horns. He has perfect power. He has the seven spirits of God, which is the full resource, the perfect resource of heaven. And you would think at that moment that he would open the scroll because he has perfect wisdom, perfect power, perfect resource to fulfill the Father's plan. But it says he waits. What would Jesus be waiting for? And it's at that point that the 24 elders and the four living creatures, imagine this, they've not stopped day or night for thousands of years saying holy and saying worthy. And yet when Jesus takes the scroll, suddenly they stop. Why? Because someone has taken the living creature's place. Now the living creatures were never designed to fully do that job. That was given to the image bearers. The ones made in his image to look upon him and lavish their love. And it says that the elders and the living creatures fall down and they offer golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers and harps, which is the worship of the saints. And when they do, Jesus takes the scroll and he opens its seal. What is he waiting on? What would cause the governmental living creatures in heaven shift their job assignment? By Revelation 7 and 8, 
God the Father even stops all of heaven. Why? Just to listen to the prayers of the saints that are rising from the earth. He'll take that incense and put fire on it and throw it back down on the earth to push back darkness. Ask the Father right now, say, give me grace to see the infinite worth of who you are and who your son is. Send the Spirit. Mark me from heaven. Give me a thirst for you. Give me a hunger for you. Give me eyes to see you. I want to see you as great. And I want my worship to be a great worship, an extravagant worship, an overflow of love. Make me a bride, equally yoked in light, in love, affection, longing. Touch me, Holy Spirit. Send the fire. Fire. Oh, God. Send the fire. Mark them. Mark them. Send the fire. Oh, God. Mark them. Oh, God. Put fire on the singers. Put fire on the musicians. Put fire on the intercessors. Oh, send the fire. Let zeal for your house consume it. Oh! Bring it forth, Jesus. Let it come. Mark them. Power. Let it come. More, more. Increase. Spirit, set fire on the altar. God, we ask you to lift the pause button in the Tampa area. Oh, bring forth an extravagant love. Let it come. Let it come. Oh, oh God. Let it come. Fire. Fire. your bride to sing Jesus cause us to sing 
fascinate us with who you are till we never stop. Mark us. Oh!